bizarre legend of one man who persuaded his friends to watch every Godzilla movie ever made. This world is on the brink of destruction. We need you now, Godzilla Evangelists! Welcome to Godzilla Evangelists. I'm here as always with my lovely co-hosts, Sam and Joanna. Screonk. Hello. <laughs> but this is no ordinary episode of Godzilla Evangelists. <laughs> we are also an episode of Slimehouse. Woohoo! Uh, so I'm here with Slimehouse's Nelson and Max. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, happy to happy to be here. Stoked to yeah, stoked to talk Clifford with you all. Yes, today we're talking about Clifford the Big Red Dog. As we've talked about, technically counts as a kaiju according to my criteria, which is has to be at least 20 feet long or tall and have some supernatural aspects to it. So Clifford, supernaturally enlarged by Emily's love, counts. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. precious. Ryan, did you say by your criteria... So this is nothing formal. This is just of your own brain. The this, is, this has been well accepted. Okay, but... okay. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> it's canon. Yeah, he's big. He's red. I'd say that's <laughs> kaiju <laughs> status right there. Yeah, they have a monstrous summit and decide. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, if you look it up online, it says he's 25 feet tall. Yeah. Oh. See, that's the thing, though, is I think I don't know if he counts in this movie. Because they say he's 10 feet tall and he does not look twice as long as he is tall. But he uh, seemed like still very puppy. Like, I feel like based on the cartoons, Clifford still had a lot of growing to do. To reach <laughs> yeah, that right. Dog. I can believe that. We're yeah. catching him early days. At, at mm. some point, every kaiju is under 20 feet. They're not getting born at 20 feet tall. You, you know that's not true. We see Minya and the Mothra larvas get born and they're already... Longer, taller than 20 feet. Ryan, we can't alienate the non-Godzilla fans by bringing up this nerd nonsense right off the bat. I'll take your word. Goodbye to any new potential listeners. (laughs) And on that note, I want to say, if you're listening to Godzilla Evangelists and you're new to Slimehouse, I want to encourage you to listen to this on Slimehouse and vice versa. If you're a Slimehouse listener and you're new to Godzilla Evangelists, Check it out on there, just so we can kind of cross-pollinate a little bit for our, our lovely listeners. Yeah, all the pods. That's right. Yeah, we want to spread some tears of love to each other's podcasts to help them grow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So, dear Godzilla Evangelist, please do that. <laughs> we weren't really planning on doing a Clifford episode, but um, when you pitched the idea, I was like, yes, this is something we have to do. And, and actually watching it, you know, plenty of fart jokes, plenty of moments, I was like, yep. Fits the bill, especially for a 2021 release. So. <laughs> yeah, of the movies we've watched, it reminded me a lot of the Tom and Jerry movie, also from this year. We determined was a good example of Neo Slime, and this, I feel like, ticks a lot of those same boxes as a contemporary sort of take on Slime. I think our goal here is, we're as a crossover episode, we're going to try to 
determine whether this is a kaiju movie and whether this is a slime house movie because we can we can kind of we'll do a two for one our our, our paths have crossed in a perfect point which is clifford uh <laughs> and there may be no other movie where we could do such a thing but uh, i was going to ask do you want to give for our listeners an explanation of what slime house is Okay, so yeah, Slimehouse pretty much as we've determined it is our, our intro every week. We say it's rated PG for crude humor, outrageous hijinks, and mild language, which is sort of a play on how a lot of these Slimehouse movies go. And it can be kind of hard to define sometimes, but I feel like the best, the name Slimehouse, it kind of came from like Grindhouse movies, which were like your like cheap 70s exploitation movies made for just like a mass audience to give them exactly what they want. And we determined Slimehouse is kind of like that, but in terms of movies made for children, where it's just like giving children like pure id, pure sort of, <laughs> <laughs> like pure hijinks and outrageousness. And we kind of determined like some examples of 10 out of 10s we've had are Max Keeble's Big Move, Big Fat Liar, uh, Cat in the Hat, and Grinch adaptations both scored highly. So kind of you just want this like kid chaos cartoonish aspects brought into the real world and just these bright colors and as we said outrageous hijinks crude humor but not too crude like so your fart and butt kind of jokes are very slime i would say so it's mainly like those the sorts of 90s and 2000s kids movies that i feel like have kind of had cult staying power i feel like most of those are slime house Another thing we talk a lot about is the attitude. I feel like that's literally what it comes down to. Sometimes like a slime house maybe will like check all the boxes on the list, but doesn't have this attitude of anarchy and kids sort of bucking the system. And I think that that kind of like kids rule, grownups drool. I feel like that's what slime house <laughs> is all about. Yeah, for sure. When you're finally old enough to go to middle school, you'll be able to throw food at people. <laughs> yeah sam has been a regular guest and, and was definitely an impetus for kind of kicking us off and, and and ryan was one of the first calls i made in terms of like how do i you know do the mechanics of a podcast so i i, I feel like godzilla evangelist has always been kind of like a sister podcast or a podcast that i you know i look up to in terms of you know what what one can do and and we always look to you as an inspiration for being consistent and uh, and releasing content. Slime <laughs> <laughs> yes. House has been a weekly podcast with virtually no hiatuses. Versus, oh, that's what a, the, what a record. <laughs> the monthly Godzilla Evangelist. That's yeah. right. It takes it takes more time to absorb Listen, the serious yet, right. world of Godzilla. We had to reconvene at the pandemic. Okay, I think that was our biggest hiatus. So I'm gonna just throw it on that. Yeah, no. We, yeah, we we, we, we are also excuses. a pandemic podcast. Like we, um, Max, we have never met Max. We only know Max online, oh. which is yeah, yeah. Crazy. So we kind of yeah, it's kind of a product of the pandemic. Our podcast. That's kind of how it all came together. Finally, so well. I hope you do meet someday. That seems mm-hmm. like a very slim yeah, house thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's uh, kind of on my, kind uh, of on my 2022 to-do list, Yeah, honestly. me too. It's like, uh-huh. either bring Max to L.A. or go to Kentucky. So, uh, uh, yeah, be all, be great. It could be a, we make our own slime house movie about our final, our, 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 our first yeah. meeting. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you guys, because I don't watch a lot of live-action kids' movies these days. 
are are movies like this now? Because I was watching this and I was like, this is just <laughs> like one of the crappy movies I would watch back in 2004. It feels exactly the same way. Yeah, a lot of the movies, I feel like a lot of family movies do feel a lot like this now. I like I've, We've watched more... We haven't watched as many contemporary kids' movies other than, like, to catch up last year to do our year end list. And, like I said, the whole time I was watching this, it had a lot of them reminded me of the Tom and Jerry movie also from this year. reminded me of Hop and Sonic and a lot of those sort of and Alvin and the Chipmunks kind of vibe to it. It had a sort of reminded me of Nine Lives, the, like, Kevin Spacey voicing a cat movie. It very much had that vibe <laughs> from a few years ago. And, and yeah, there's something about this, like... I can't even put a finger on it, really, but yeah, this movie definitely had a feeling that where it's like not quite as amped up as like a lot of the earlier slime. It's kind of a gentler version of Slimehouse, but also still has like the humor of Slimehouse, and it feels kind of like sort of more sitcom-y, like a combination with sitcom, like like family sitcom and Slimehouse. But yeah, I will say that this is this feels like a very typical 2021, 2020 slime house movie for sure yeah that was a takeaway i had too was was so like i haven't watched any current slime house movies really but it did feel very 2021 in that like mm-hmm. i you know i i hear the kinds of pitches that mac gets and the way that you know just like the kinds of things that are being made and i and i'm watching it and i'm like oh they made emily elizabeth quippy like, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Last year, I'll give a quick plug. We did a 2020 wrap up where we, we watched as many 2020 Slimehouse movies as we could. And honestly, I'm really glad to have done that for this episode because it informed a lot of what I would consider neo slime or modern Slimehouse movies. And I think one of the like key tropes that you see in just new Slimehouse movies is going viral or viral moments. And mm-hmm. and we see that in two ways here. First, Emily Elizabeth gets bullied and there's a moment where we just see her laptop screen and like someone makes like a video of her trash falling over. <laughs> like a TikTok. <laughs> that moment to me felt like only in a 2021 Slimehouse movie or a 2020 Slimehouse movie would you have a moment where we see like, <laughs> you went viral or whatever. And then Later, of course, Clifford uh, is discovered on Instagram, and there are multiple name references to like that's the dog on Instagram. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's... except that it, it tries to have it both ways because it does that, but also somehow Clifford people can take photos of Clifford at the park and videos, and like the greater world doesn't really know about him. And there's a whole sequence where everybody happens to be watching Channel 14 news. Which is which is very like leftover. It's like you know the writers like want to have their cake from the old days, mm-hmm. but they also want to have like mm-hmm. the IG generation. But that first moment, speaking of which, when I saw it, I was like, "What is this? This isn't funny." Like even to a child, like somebody was dragging a bag of cans and some of them fell out. Like <laughs> why? Yeah. Why is that so hilarious that you have to clip that and put it? On Instagram and everybody's watching it. Yeah, it's like the most mild event to go viral in history. Like, it's just n- n- nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Another element of that is is usually our, our Slimehouse characters get bullied, or we, we usually have some good bullies in this way. And, 
I always, I don't like the trope, but it is a trope for sure. Like the people who get bullied because they're poor, you know, and like. This one was so crude. I'm like, <laughs> how many, I thought, okay, all right. I was like, all right, guys. And then they said it like three times. And then by the end of the movie, they said it like 17 times. They kept being like, food stamps, food stamps. I'm like, how did this pass? How did this, and she lives on the Upper East Side in a, a gorgeous, apartment huge apartment. That apartment is a million and five on Zillow at least, at minimum. Like, That's the cruel irony of this is that they, I mean, from a filmmaking perspective, they're like, all right, well, we're making her, her from, you know, her family's poor, but also they have to have a house large enough to fit a kaiju. In it. Right. And so, <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. They have a throwaway line where the, where the mom is like complaining about how poor they are. And she's like, ah, oh, we're poor. Well, thank God this place is rent controlled. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's like they did not explain that away. Not even a little bit. No. That's no one way. of many baffling choices made in the setup. Like, why, why did you make that the thing she's bullied about? Because you don't follow through on it no. at all. And right. also, why did you cast that woman as the mom? Because you have to make so many excuses around it. Like, why doesn't Emily Elizabeth talk with an accent? Why doesn't her brother talk with an accent? Why did you just cast an American? I love that line. That was the best line of the film, though. Like, well, that's why I don't have an accent. Because we moved from London when I was two. Yeah. But also, actually, that's a good point. Because I had a friend growing up who was American but her parents were British and she had a British accent because you you learn how to speak from those <laughs> right, but, right. Yeah. well well so this is so I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit but like the biggest problem I had because I actually think there's a world where you make a good Clifford the Big Red Dog movie Agreed. I think it could be done I think the mistake is weirdly that they chose to make this in the slimier direction where I feel like Clifford books are for six-year-olds. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like these are like these like are Paddington books about, Bear. Yeah, yeah. Th- these are books exactly. Like Paddington is ch- totally sweet. People of all ages can like it because it's sweet. But it's like this is literally a story about a dog who becomes big because this sad girl loves him so much, and he loves her back, and then the community all loves this dog. But like all of the time is spent. Like, the, the community, the only thing the dog does for the community is, like, catch one stupid guy. <laughs> Excuse me, Sam. He also looks adorable. Okay? So that's a big benefit. Yeah. yeah. And, like, they spend so much time. Like, there's very little, like, Clifford and this girl loving each other. And there's a lot of Clifford, like, sitting on stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then there's, like, a tail. Yeah, and then there's one sad scene where they're like, he's trying to make himself small, and then it's like, oh, tears? What? Like, <laughs> but but like, it's not earned, you know. Yeah. It, it was a weird choice. Yeah, it's um, I, I associate Clifford with being very genuine and sweet and straightforward as well, and I I didn't I never was attached to him as like Winnie the Pooh or Sesame Street growing up, but I still liked him, and yeah, I always felt like that was the whole thing is there's this intense bond between them that could hang on through anything and i guess that's the through line but it's not it's not really the focus of the movie instead they're like so busy throwing jokes and like hijinks at us that that never really comes through yeah i feel like stuff kept happening to them that they kept reacting to it wasn't like getting to this place like when you i don't know like home alone where it comes to this place where it's like it's him against them and there's all this strategy going into it and it's like so direct it's like 
Clifford wasn't a part of that either. He just would kind of like run where they would tell him to. He w- like I feel like in the books I remember again I was like seven, so maybe not. This is incorrect as an adult, but I remember him being a smart dog, <laughs> and I feel like you know none of that was added into the story. You know what though? I think that they left room for Clifford the Big Red Dog too, and <laughs> right. I think I think we see stuff like that where this does feel like an origin story, and I think that. Yeah, I was never a, a huge Clifford fan, but I do remember the show mostly like yeah, growing show. up. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it would be the type of thing where like I was sick and I was like way too old for it, but it was the only <laughs> thing on TV, <laughs> so I would watch it. That's the life of not having cable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So well, and Clifford Clifford spoke in the show, right? John yeah, Ritter yeah, voiced what? Clifford. I forget. So that's like a huge. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Did he only speak to other dogs, or I don't remember. He had yes, dog sir. friends. I, I think he talked to Emily Elizabeth, but okay. other humans maybe couldn't hear him. I don't. I don't remember. But yeah, Clifford because he had the two dog friends. One was yes. played by Kel Mitchell, I think, which Keenan actually has a role in this. So Keenan and Kel dominating the Clifford game. <laughs> yeah, and they give a great Easter egg. For the Clifford stands out there that the pug is named TJ and that is the name of his best pal on the TV show. Oh, wow. <laughs> so. Well, I feel like the thing about the Clifford show and the books, if I remember correctly, I feel like is they're sort of equal, like like Clifford, the story is mostly happening to Clifford. Like it's Clifford getting into adventures and hijinks with Emily Elizabeth. But this Clifford is more of kind of a plot device, I feel mm-hmm. like, than a character of his own. Because yeah. he just he, he really just acts yeah. more like a real dog than Clifford ever did. He's constantly just like getting distracted. To, like his first big scene where he plays with the ball and the the guy and the ball in the park, which was a very slimy scene. I thought just the, <laughs> yeah. but but yeah, like that's not something I feel like Clifford would get into in the books or the show because yeah, yeah he was he's a, a smart much, pup. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a much more intelligent <laughs> character generally. They they uh-huh. like you're saying that that uh he's in the in the show in the books he was like Godzilla in uh in Ghidorah the three-headed monster whereas <laughs> this is like Godzilla in the first movie he's, <laughs> he's just a yeah he's purely he's, pure, yeah. just an agent Thanks of for chaos crossing over for <laughs> yeah. yeah that's right yeah we uh, did it <laughs> we justified the episode yeah. <laughs> uh. I feel like if any if there's any kaiju that's more similar to Clifford, it would have to be King Kong, and that he's just sort yeah. of being like yeah. exploited by like 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 people want to exploit him because of his what what like the whole I mean the whole thing is what makes him different. He's big and he's red, and he's this biotech <laughs> company want to experience. That's really the main plot. Uh, is like I was gonna say we can get to the biotech later because that was probably yeah, the most kaiju. Yeah, that about. felt. I don't have like a deep knowledge of kaiju, <laughs> but that all felt like the most kaiju to me, and just him being exploited yeah. for his uniqueness felt very King Kong to me. Like yeah. as a uh-huh. have you guys covered Okja before? We have not. No. no. It, to me, it felt it had Oakjaw energy of like the girl and her pet, who then the rest of the world sees in a very different way. And and I think that yeah, and I also saw a lot of King Kong in it too, more than Godzilla, where it's like there are people who want to do who have nefarious purposes for this this animal. Well, it very specifically reminds me of the original Mothra. That's that's it's like King Kong by way of Mothra with. Uh, Clifford because in Mothra we have the unscrupulous businessman who goes to Infant Island and discovers the uh well it's it's a little bit off because he discovers the two tiny twin fairies and steals them and then Mothra comes to rescue them but it's the same idea 
of exploiting this fascinating uh, supernatural thing for your own financial uh, gain. Uh, but you, but that character being in the wrong and the and, <laughs> and the good monster having to make everything right in the end. So it was it was a little bit Mothra-y in that way. Going back to Clifford's origin in this, though, as far as a monster origin, it's one of the more confusing things because what's what's so strange is like. They, it's like they half committed to him being a magical gift from a magical man, but we saw where the magical man got the magical gift. And, That's true. And he was just a dog who just was magically red <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> and like I'm, I, I found that so baffling. Like I don't, I cannot explain. It just feels like they were like, we have two different conflicting ideas of where Clifford comes from. Let's just squash them together. And like the yellow Labrador mom with the CG puppies at the beginning who get taken by the pound and the whole time I'm like, okay, so he's going to end up saving his family from the pound. But no, that was just to explain that he's, he's sad. He's last of his kind. He's the only of his kind. He's, he's red. <laughs> yeah, that was really weird. Although I, I was sort of like, well, the main thing it did is made my wife cry. Because um, he loves dogs, and, <laughs> and that's maybe that's the you know we don't have to read into the purpose too hard. Cause it's like oh, just make him an orphan, you know. That's uh, that's sympathetic, and yeah, that's that's obviously why they did it. But I was trying to think of it from a kaiju perspective, and I'm like, okay, it kind of works. He's wronged by man by this. We don't have systems good enough set up for these orphaned dogs, so he's let, he's abandoned in, in a cruel way, taken. Taking his family separated from him by man's hubris was my reach. Normally, I was expecting there to be a montage or a few minutes dedicated to Clifford growing in size. And I was kind of disappointed, I have to say. I, and in general, so everyone knows, I actually like this movie. But, in, but I will say that I was expecting there to be a moment where like he grows big and that's you know, confusing and they have to like keep feeding him more food or something like that. But it's an overnight moment where, you know, he's small and then he's big. Whereas I think of Clifford as growing gradually and like surprising everyone that he becomes a big red dog. But that's how it happens in the books. I I guess they just really wanted this structure where they didn't have the responsible parent here to like guide Emily. Because that if, if that, if Clifford grew grew slowly the mom would be back but so they yeah. they really really just couldn't stand that idea of having to write around that yeah. so they had him boom they, well they yes. got that actor who plays the uncle and that that's what it is that's all of the problems come down to they got that guy and they were like we got him guys we, got him. we can we can write around the accent thing completely change no no leave out the the meat of this movie we got we got the guy who's gonna throw salt in someone's face and then do a chef Finger <laughs> you, mean, you mean poor man's Bo Burnham? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Also, the whole film, I kept thinking, I was like, God, if only Jim Carrey was in this. I was like, man, Jim Carrey would be so good in this role. Obviously, he's like too old for it now, but I was like, that would have been fun. Well, I feel like they're really trying to make that guy happen, like in the in the U.S. right now, because he was in Jungle Cruise. Like, he's a big British comedian. I did a little research on him, but he's never really broke through. But he's 
a main role in the Jungle Cruise movie. Wait, he's English? He's British? Yeah, he's British. He's a British. Yeah, he does. Why he's doing it. Yeah, he's doing an American <laughs> accent. That's the. Yeah, that was, I was, I was, I was saving that one for the. But no, yeah, he's British and he's in, he's in Jungle Cruise. He plays, uh, he's like in some popular British sitcom called Bad Education. That's like his big breakout. But he's been huge in England since like the 2010s. And now they're trying to get him going here. That is insane. This is nonsense. Yeah, yeah that's fucking. Disgusting. So yeah, they had because well because he slips into like at one point he does like a fake British accent to mock the sister or whatever, and that's like what his actual voice sounds like. So they <laughs> oh have him. Yeah. So that yeah that's that's so confusing what? to me the whole time. I was you just know like... that he was so it's just him like him pulling stuff. He's just like you know about gents. I'm going to be American for this movie. And then them just being like, no, that, that throws off everything. And he's like, nope, too late. You, you're you not making a movie without me. Like the first day on set, he's just doing an American accent mm-hmm. and everyone's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well like, right in one line where he explained some business yeah. about like being two when he moves. Oh. separated from his It never ceases to amaze me that like people like Christian Bale and Nicole Kidman, like they're, they're all these like, Aussies and Brits who just like pass as American, you right. know, and right. do take over all our jobs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My mom yeah. was actually complaining about that one time. She's like, "Why are all these parts played by British and Australian people now?" Because <laughs> yeah, he, he yeah he was Jack Whitehall is his name, and he was in Jungle Cruise this same year in like a huge role, and it felt like kind of like the main stars of the movie were like The Rock, Emily Blunt, and this guy, and it's like I feel like <laughs> I don't know if he's gonna hit the way they want him to. And he's I definitely feel like, not. Uh, yeah. not yeah. He's forever children's movies now. Yeah, for sure. He feels like the a, the, a lesser James Marsden in the slime house world. We've talked about James Marsden a lot being like the sort of the the key modern slime star, and I feel like they're gunning for that with Jack Whitehall, but don't think they're gonna get there. I mean, he'll be lucky because James Marsden in Enchanted is like one of the great. The great performances in like anything. No, yeah, actually, yeah. I, I, in fact, I, lo- I like James Marsden a lot. Also, yeah. also, James Marsden is is a twelve out of ten level of attractiveness. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, uh-huh. That gives him some certain clout when he walks into. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and and Marsden in, to that point, Joanna, it's like he leans into the fact that he's like too handsome for the rest of us kind of you know like <laughs> yes, that's, exactly. that's normally what his part entails because yeah. um, he has a very cartoonish handsomeness that yeah. like lends itself yes. very well to these kids movies i feel like he like literally looks like a disney prince that's why he's so good and enchanted yeah right in slime house we talk a lot about slime instigators and those are people who like bring the slime to the table and when we meet this character, I was like, oh, he's a slime instigator. Like, he lives in the van, and, like, we get this whole bit establishing how unreliable and how sort of irresponsible this guy is. But, in fact, I don't think he's the slime instigator of the movie. I think John Cleese, who is the magical man (laughs) who forces Clifford into the picture onto them. I think he's the slime instigator of this movie where he's like, oh, you got a big dog? Tough luck. Now it's yours. I agree. And and I feel like Jack Whitehall, like as much as he was like, oh, I don't look like I'm a mess. Really like, the only thing that happened is he, like, let the girl take a dog. Like, well, no, he didn't even let her take it home. So there was no instance when he was really messing up after he made that whole big thing of, like, I'm, I suck. Like, yeah. so he, he didn't really instigate much of anything, yeah. I guess he was briefly tempted to take the money 
from Tony Hale, but he didn't. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. Good guy through and through. 10 out of 10 older uncle, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's fresh. It, it's sort of annoying when they like spend all this belaboring of like, oh, he's so funny because he, you know, can't get a job and lives in his truck and all these yeah, things. Hilarious. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then the moment Clifford comes in the picture, he like loses that character trait and he has to like, he kind of has to be the responsible one of the situation and it's like not gradual at all whereas like in theory it's supposed to like be i mean i know that's what they were trying to go for that like he suddenly becomes responsible because he's like with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> but you know he doesn't earn it at all yeah it's, there's yeah there's not a gradual turn like i feel like with like your sonic and your hop which are the things this reminded me of a lot you see like it, they're also about like a immature like bum guy gets this cgi creature and that makes him grow up and this yeah it was way too sudden you didn't see him like have much growing pains into the role it's just kind of the character just changes after they get all the gags they want out of him being like a and that one having like bathing himself with hand sanitizer which is a very <laughs> weird gross bit yeah. <laughs> including a moment where in this movie for children it seems like he's going to rub his dick with hand sanitizer yeah 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 he like sticks his hand down his pants and then smells it. it's like a real gross also not from experience but i just feel like that would burn yeah, oh, <laughs> you would think so. I can't imagine. <laughs> um, yeah, you know it's it, it's funny because I was watching this and and conceptually, it, it feels like a, it it's like there were too many voices to me. Like there were too many people who were who were like it's got to be these different things because his whole character in a movie about a girl with a magical dog that love each other, it, like she needs to be the main character, and he that he kind of is in a weird way. Honestly. He's he's he probably gets more development and screen time that she does um but the other back to the john cleese thing i think the other big mistake is is like the middle portion of the movie their goal is oh my god this dog is big we got to take him back to john cleese to make him fix it where is john cleese and it's like why do we think that could actually work that if that's your goal it's just we got to get we got to find john cleese that's kind of odd it's kind of weak it's because rosie perez says it and you gotta trust whatever <laughs> rosie perez says. yeah but such a random small role yeah i had so surprised to see her pop up and then she just never really showed back up like, like this movie had a number of like weird really small roles from notable people quick sidebar because we've been pretty negative and spoiler alert i'm going to continue to be pretty negative nelson <laughs> What did you like about this movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, all right. I'm, I, I can play with that. Um, you know, it's funny. There is a contingent of people on the internet, mostly on Letterboxd, who love the Paddington movies. And I saw them under that guise. I was like, what is it about Paddington that has this huge following? And I watched them, and they're really solid kids' movies, and they're very wholesome. They have a little bit of Slimehouse. I think at some point I would cover it for Slimehouse. He makes messes, and he loves his marmalade and stuff like that. But I think that, to me, Clifford felt like a similar thing where it's just, it's a good-hearted movie, and I I was on board with, with that element. Like, I just felt like I liked the main character, Emily Elizabeth, and... I liked how Clifford was so cute, but he like, you know, was too big for his world. You know, I like, I don't know. I, I, I was kind of won over by that wholesome type of heart to this movie that reminded me of Paddington. But 
I, I don't defend that. Yeah, there's some like questionable writing choices. I feel I feel like when you've seen as much of this like stuff as we have, the bar ends up pretty low. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> like, like after, after our after our 2020 like catch up, watching like 25 like borderline like straight to streaming like kids movies. Like yeah, your bar is very low for this because yeah, like this movie, I I wouldn't even say I necessarily liked it, but I was just like, okay, that was a fun movie. This was like above most of the like modern kids movies we've seen because yeah like i said like when you've seen like magic camp or some of the or five kids and it some of these really wild things a movie that's just competent can see me. <laughs> i uh okay i can understand the perspective now because like when it comes down to trying to be objective there are very few Godzilla movies that hit above a three out of five so i i understand having this special affection that mm-hmm. wanting to defend <laughs> this type of movie this was one of those movies where i was like you know i don't have kids but like i'd watch this with my imaginary kids i think that, you know, <laughs> i'm somewhere closer to ryan's side maybe i, I was kind of like yeah this isn't very good yeah. i do think the choice of having the villain be like a, a place that's trying to get the secret to making genetically enormous chickens and like cows i found that to be kind of the right choice like that's that was the right villain for this movie but but it was also a weird one because he still had this thing of like we're making food for the world so it's like right okay, he had wait, good you're motivation like, you're like well that would be good but he's bad uh. <laughs> yeah he needs to he, they need to word it like by him being like we need to make cheaper chicken nuggets then right, we, we he needs to be it. a McDonald's executive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's GMOs. Yeah. It's you know people. That's what it's funny. Right. Uh, there's a debate among the vegetarians about lab-grown meat, and I'm actually I'll be the first one to eat lab-grown meat when when the time comes. But a lot of people think, ooh, gross. You know how dare how dare you mess with nature? It's like, <laughs> oh, welcome to our welcome world. to the world. <laughs> yeah, I um, let me let me drop one of my patented hot takes. And uh, say that there's nothing wrong with GMOs in and of themselves. It's just speeding up a process that humans have done for generations. Uh, And the problem is that people use them to make bad business practices happen. But in and of themselves, we're just doing what we've been doing for thousands of years. You know, making things uh, work better for us. uh, Breeding them in a way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I heard I heard there was an alternate ending to this movie where Tony Hale is just really sad. He's like lost everything and he's just sitting there with with one abandoned cow and he's crying and his tears make the cow huge. And he goes, "Eureka!" <laughs> <laughs> Cut to black. I thought I thought Tony Hale maybe just cuz I, you know, like him and anything from all his past work but i he was like one of my more favorite parts to watch like i you can always trust whatever lines he's given he's gonna like go at him 130 percent and make them funny even if they are a little more basic or whatever they are and throwing him in the steve steve jobs outfit you know yeah i do think he fit closest to like godzilla kind of villain mm-hmm. but like quirky wacky villain i was like ooh, i want more of these back in these 80s films we're gonna continue watching um, I also loved Isaac Wang. I thought, I was like, this kid's just here. He's delivering his punches. I'm here for him. I thought, comparatively, Emily Elizabeth was like a little bit of a drag. I was like, are they writing her to be an 18-year-old? And I was thinking about younger female characters who are like adult-like, like 
Matilda or Dakota Fanning in Uptown Girls. And I feel like those characters just like fit more. This girl, I was like, okay, she's 12. She's like thinking she's playing an 18 year old. Uh, something about it just didn't work. I get they're like, oh, she's like an outsider, but it just felt like she still kind of did fit into this like type A thing. I just didn't really see her as like who they were saying she was, I guess. Like some cool, kind of like that punk idea you were speaking to earlier, like didn't fit that at all. I think the idea is that like, She's one of those characters who's being forced to grow up faster because of her trauma. But her life's really not that traumatic in the grand Her life is amazing. Else. I'm sorry, yeah. that apartment is decorated so beautifully. <laughs> like, I want, I will live there. Yeah, I always find it funny when, like, they force dumb reasons for her to be bullied or whatever. There yeah. is a new, a neo-slime trope is the environmentalism is definitely, like, put into Slime House. I don't know what it is about it, but, like, they want that narrative you know and so but she gets bullied for doing things that people would not get bullied for doing you know (laughs) and um she's also the star of the christmas chronicles which i think she's pretty good in in that series but i do agree she's just the like regular person in this movie with all these funny people and and so it's kind of she doesn't carry that like there's nothing interesting about the regular person yeah. Yeah, I, I just wish she was more like more earnest. I like mm-hmm. if she was just like it, it like to me it's like she should have they should have like moved just she should have just moved. She like that's why she has no friends. Like right now it's just like oh I guess you're just I mean again supposedly poor which doesn't make any sense cuz you know but like like if they just moved she's like she's really alone and literally like legitimately just is like has no friends and is genuinely sad instead of being like Mom, they don't say it like this, yeah. Uncle. They don't say lit. <laughs> yeah. Have you yeah. ever been a kid? Because uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that I think so that what this is, uh, yeah. The, I feel like earnestness is very key to the Clifford franchise. I'm not no expert mm-hmm. on Clifford, but from my memory of it as a kid, and this is not a particularly earnest movie. I mean, it's about as earnest as like Alvin and the Chipmunks or a lot of others such kids movies but yeah this movie does not really have like an earnest core to it which i think is what it's lacking i think that's why i liked isaac wang's character because like that kid was earnest it's like okay this is the kid that he's playing he's leaning into it he's running with it and his little love for her like i actually was like oh so like that was one part that i was like yeah. he's more and his yeah dad. i think he yeah he was very cute i think that he he has a bright a bright slime house future ahead of you. Should, <laughs> yes. should you want it? Yeah. Bright green slime future. One of my favorite parts of the movie, or favorite jokes, was when his dad's like, "Is this the Emily yeah. Elizabeth?" <laughs> it was very like a very quiet human joke, but it was very funny because uh-huh. it like mm-hmm. it played with the character. And when his dad is like, "I'll tuck you in now," and he's like, Dad. It's like, that's yeah. also an earnest thing. Like, that's what would happen at that age. You wouldn't be, like, 18-year-old quipping to your mother about <laughs> the dishwash finances. Oh, um, right. can, we, can we talk a little bit, too, about, like, the look of Clifford? I feel like that's always something we're discussing. Yeah, like, a, how's Godzilla's can. thighs looking? How's he saying that? You know? <laughs> um, I thought he normalized as a, a bigger puppy Clifford. I thought as little Clifford. I'm like, is he smaller than a pit? Like, what? I also grew up with a Newfoundland. So, like, that dog as a puppy is still, like, you know, it's still, like, a size. It's not, like, the size of an egg. It was very, it was all over the place. <laughs> well, his, his proportions were very strange. Like, I feel like yeah. they didn't want to do two models because, like, 
He just looked like a shrunken dog. He didn't look like a <laughs> yeah, puppy. Yeah. It looked like they just His like resized. Yeah, yeah. Like he yeah. didn't look like a puppy. He just looked like a very tiny dog, which is weird. <laughs> he looked like a little big dog. <laughs> yeah, because in the books, <laughs> in the, like in the in the books and stuff, Clifford when he was a puppy looked totally different. He was like 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 in all ways like. But yeah, this just looked like they resized the model from before, which I thought was strange. It's interesting because that that was certainly the first thing that jumped out to me was just like, yeah, proportionally, he just didn't look right, especially when he was small. But the other thing is like, you know, as a visual effects challenge, uh, you know, it's I, I can't imagine there's a good way to do this because even I would see shots and be like, oof, that doesn't look right. And then you like look and you're like, well, all the things that that are usually tip offs to bad special effects, you know, it's like, oh, are the highlights on him as bright as the highlights on the background or the shadows, you know, like sh contact shadows, you know, things that you kind of like that are usually like brain tip offs. All of those usually were okay. Occasionally they were kind of bad because there's so many shots. But part of it is that just there's no way to make a dog that sh shade of red look real. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to say. It's like, I think it's always going to trigger Uncanny Valley no matter what. I think he looks pretty cute considering, and my wife liked it. But I, I think you bring up a good point, which is that every movie now has great special effects, except Clifford, apparently. I was looking at this, and I was like, God, this is bad. This is like yeah, a throwback what? to the mid-2000s. Yeah. Well, I, I really think they could have afforded to make him look a little more cartoonish. Like, I feel yeah. like he's just not a distinctive character when he's literally just a big red dog. Like, he just looks like a normal dog, but he's big and red. Like, I feel like it's kind of like with, like, I know I keep going back to Sonic, but I feel like that's, like... Not a great movie, but the best sort of neo slime movie. I've like best slime house movie I've seen recently. There was so much controversy about his design because people wanted to go for like the cartoony look that we associate. I feel like if he looked a little bit more like he looked in the the show or the book, I feel like it would have gone a right, long with, like, way. This yeah, big snout and big ears. Yeah, he just mm -hmm. looked like a lab, especially as a puppy. It was like yeah, yeah. It's like he could have been a more cartoonish, and it would have been a more distinctive and I feel like more lovable character than just like a bland looking dog who's just big and red he's cute but like it's just yeah. not a distinctive design at all for the character yeah i was kind of i was bummed about that they were grounding it in reality mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> <laughs> the most they, important thing for this movie. yes yeah. they were like this is this dog needs to exist in the same same world as a guy sticking hand sanitizer down his pants really <laughs> i hadn't thought of the shrunken dog thing but now that i think about it i'm like oh yeah like that was it reminded me more of like in Spy Kids, the like shrunken animal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. I actually thought that same. Like, yeah. yeah. At one point, there was a car tire, and he was like an eighth of the car tire, and it was like I don't even know that I've seen any puppy that. Yeah, I just. Yeah, <laughs> yeah when you stuck on this. Uh, yeah, I don't know why they had the, he. He was extremes of both sizes. He was tiny then giant. He was never. I think that's a thing from the books though, is that he's like the tiniest, runtiest puppy of the oh. litter. And that's why Emily yeah. latches on to him. I feel like I remember him like bathing in like a teacup in a book or something. Like yeah, one of the book covers. Right. He was like in a yeah. teacup, you know, so like Oh my god. <laughs> so cute. You just have to you have to get because he, he he just gotta get his head right then. Cause yeah, mm. you, you have no conception when when his head is that small, you know, <laughs> And he just looks like a miniature full-size dog. It's like the uh, becomes like those those fifteen hundreds paintings where people hadn't really paid a lot of attention to the anatomy of children and babies. Yet. <laughs> so just like like the Virgin Mary is just like holding a an little adult. man, yeah, who's <laughs> <laughs> shrunken. Yeah, like Joe mentioned, like the there. I think they could have made a, a puppy version of Clifford. And I think about uh, the movie Beethoven, which has a lot of time spent on puppy Beethoven. 
which is a real puppy because it's you know a real movie and a real movie. <laughs> whoa uh, like yeah, no, <laughs> shots fired <laughs> shots fired <laughs> no like it's a real yeah real dog and yeah I I do I wanted a little more of that but I think that yeah when you have a red dog they you know they go full CGI and that's what we got yeah on that note too uh fun for our for anyone listening look up photos of the set of this movie it's hilarious because <laughs> it's just like normal people interacting with this like red like amorphous <laughs> shape that they have to carry around oh, that's with. awesome well i think we, we, we yeah we talk about this movie briefly on one of our episodes i don't remember one but at that point because i remember googling it david allen greer was I don't know if there was just something messed up on the IMDb or Wikipedia, but David Ellinger, who's in this movie as like the apartment manager, was listed as being the voice of Clifford for the longest time. And I thought, like, what a weird comeback role for him that he's doing the voice of Clifford the Big Red Dog. But no, Clifford is silent in this one. <laughs> Ryan, do we do we want to break down the the kaiju tropes of this? I was I was just bringing, about to bring that up, or or, or talk about the two most kaiju environments of this movie, which were the um, the Bridwell circus tents, whatever, <laughs> and the genetics lab. So yeah. and and the island that he was foreseeably the habitat that was very <laughs> like King Kong. Yeah. <laughs> I was ready for Clifford too to be like Clifford King Kong hanging out there, pals. When mm. she was sad, I was like, he's gonna have all these animal friends. Don't you worry. But <laughs> yeah, the, that, I would say, and they clearly didn't have the budget for it or whatever but the moment the the dock moment felt like to me i think of kaiju movies and i think there's always stuff at the docks you know yeah. and like the the water and like that's usually where they come from or where they're going to you know and all that and they they kind of like flirted with doing something more there but but really didn't commit to that type of story but, but yeah i mean they they ship him ship him by boat which is a trope uh, airlifting is definitely a trope that's a king kong trope mm. yeah specifically <laughs> But yeah, definitely monsters are always coming to or from islands or something is motivating them to go to or from an island. So the the tent was sort of our monster island because we get to see, I guess they both were, we got to see weird other creatures in both the tent and the lab. Although I wish they'd gone further because there's really only one sup- other supernatural creature in the tent, which is the oh. long-necked hyena. He was great. Mm-hmm. When he laughed, oh, oh so funny. <laughs> But I wish they'd gone all out and had just like a bunch of like weird shit in the in the mm-hmm. Birdwell town. <laughs> Set up the Clifford multiverse. <laughs> they, <laughs> exactly. They yes. will. So yeah, and the next next we'll have a solo long necked hyena movie, mm-hmm. and then he and Clifford will team up to fight. A and then he'll be in the Lion <laughs> King, and we'll bring everything full circle. <laughs> there you go. I found it very funny that the that the like the research lab, the, the moment someone sets off the fire alarm, it just automatically lets out every animal. <laughs> <in the building>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really good, good design, safety protocols. Yeah, they also they they set up this one um sheep that's mean as a really big setup <laughs> my god mm-hmm. and it ends up not really doing that like i don't even no. remember how it ends up doing anything it's milk you know? they they pay off they connect it to the condensed milk setup where <sighs> yes. where yeah which yeah, like when they first set it up you're right it was like such a such an obvious and kind of ham-fisted plant where it was just like by the way we have this mean sheep it's mean <laughs> and i was like so is this their way of like setting up that the sheep is going to attack tony hale at the end and it, it wasn't even that it was just that it was so that they could intertwine it with this other ham-fisted milk joke i 
who this woman came from out of nowhere. Like they were like in the last thirty minutes, they were like, "We need this older woman with this." Well, they yeah. do set her up. They set oh, her up okay. briefly early, but it's like very it's just brief. where she's collecting cans and she's just like mm, condensed milk. <laughs> yeah, babushka. Uh, I I will say that's one thing I liked about the movie was I liked the kind of ensemble of like the townspeople. You know, like yeah. I found. Um, Russell Peters being one of them, who's like actually a pretty great stand-up comic if anyone's interested in looking up his stuff. And then there's the guy with one hand and like these other kind of just, (laughs) you know, funny people. And that was one thing I liked was that they all kind of came to rescue Clifford and they all got their like payoff of like, yeah, the woman with the milk gets her moment. The guy with one hand, you know, conveniently plays into the plot, you know. (laughs) That was one of the things I liked about the movie, even though, yeah, it's totally silly. (laughs) So can I can I pitch you guys because I I think it needed more of that and I think that yeah. like that needs to be the, the townspeople and like Clifford helping the people in the city needs to be the focus of the movie mm-hmm. um, and and can I pitch you how like how I wish this movie went <laughs> because they, I found so I think Emily Elizabeth just moved has no friends the townspeople you know she doesn't really bond with anyone the, the community I say that you know the community doesn't really bond with any of them. She's so sad and lonely. She gets this puppy from a magical guy, sure, who, you know, becomes big. And, you know, and immediately, I, I think that the whole thing with the uncle doesn't even need to be there. It's just like, oh, my God, we can't have this giant dog in our house. Like, we have to do something about this. I think the island thing of, like, the nature reserve is the out. I think that's the thrust of the movie is, look, they're going to send a ship. They're going to take it to this nature nature reserve. But you have to you have to keep this dog for like a week until the boat gets here, and you just have to make it through this week, and and I think that it starts with like this is unsustainable. This dog is breaking everything, but pretty quickly she starts to bond with it, and also the dog ends up helping all these people, and thus they all kind of love the dog and love Emily Elizabeth because of it. And so it's like it's not just she say he saves one guy. It's like. You know, all these people are like, no, that dog, like, this helped my business, my struggling business, because it's like, he's the mascot of my business. Yes. And like, oh, he helped me paint that corner of the thing I was never able to paint, you know, and so on. And so then when, you know, bad guys try to get it, it's much more earned that like the community is like, no, that little girl's dog is our, is our dog too. And then at the end, the boat gets here and they're like, we can take him. And Emily Elizabeth doesn't want to let him go. And the town is like, we shouldn't, why do we need to let him go? If we all work together, we can make a home for this dog in our, in our well, community. Yeah, that would be a much That's more effective, I mean. yeah, that would be a much better Clifford movie. I think they should get you on the, the re, do the reboot. Uh. It's all there, though. No, There's yeah, it's like, yeah, you can very much see the, the yeah. In the wrong order. <laughs> And, and and making no sense. Yeah. The, the moving to a new town trope—that's a slimehouse trope for sure. We see that yeah. a lot, and maybe it's just yeah. a family movie trope. But like, I and I, you're right that they don't lean into that, so they have to like force that she is kind of an outsider. Yeah, it, yeah, and they just came in in the last like 20 minutes. They're like, now these people are all important. Yeah, it's- unintentionally funny moment is when the big standoff at the park is happening and everyone's running, you know, like running over. And the cops are like, what the, you know, give us the dog. And then like, you know, and then there are the people like, no, Clifford, that's her dog. And then that one guy, the one guy, just goes, that dog saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> one, just one person being like, oh, by the way, I almost died and that dog saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> and just nobody reacts to it. Yeah. 
Another good, like, out of context is one point, there's a crowd near the end, and someone just yells, he's a freak, about Clover. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like who, who would get, like, it reminds me kind of like Dumbo. Like, why would you get pissed off at, like, an animal that just yeah. has a, 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 a deformity? Like, like they're, they're pissed that he's big and red. And it's like, why do you care? <laughs> yeah, they, they really push him into the kaiju position in that moment. That's, like, the yeah, only yeah, time it sure. seems like people think he's dangerous. Uh-huh. Because otherwise he's, like, pretty much accepted pretty much yeah. for for being like a a true like like the of uh, 20 foot large 20 foot tall red dog yeah well another a slime monster up for sure we we have a saying a cab all cops are bumbling but uh, <laughs> we uh, we also see like we have an anti-authoritarian streak in slime house which i actually think the movie does well because they make the cops bad guys in this movie like you know don't trust the police and you know because they're in cahoots with uh life grow and so that to me felt more slime house was like that the police cannot be trusted and you know they're bad guys (laughs) in this movie and, and i appreciated that that bit that's also kind of a thing in kaiju movies where military and government figures are not as competent as the everyman or the or, or the scientist though that's like a uniquely japanese thing is they trust their scientists so much more than we do oh you don't but... think that's a uniquely american thing that we <laughs> i think that is declining <laughs> yeah the, the south park bit where it's like why should we trust you mr scientist <laughs> and we yeah we see a mildly anti-science thing in this movie even it's a good thing the cops were so incompetent because they love shooting dogs so um, we should be glad that they yeah glad that we got us. some bumbling slime house cops and <laughs> I, I also loved the the bad guys kind of in cahoots with the cops and at the end they're like we we need to talk to you about the bill we had, you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> Clifford, no, no fetch! No fetch! Clifford, no! How has he not popped that yet? Ah, there we are. Clifford, put him down. Drop the ball. Clifford, drop it. Unbelievable. Good boy. No, bad boy. Very bad boy. I was gonna I was gonna go back into more kaiju tropes, but but so John Cleese has microchip magic. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. Yeah. He magically changes the, the, the microchip. The microchip. As it was weird to me. I don't. I can't put my finger on why, because it's like, well, I guess that that would mean the implication is they're like, oh no, I see. Yes, Emily Elizabeth microchipped this dog. <laughs> like, I don't think she would do. Maybe that's a new thing with pet owners nowadays. Is you you tracking device your dog now? Do you, yeah, I don't it's know. Pretty I don't, standard from what. I yeah, yeah. I think they, they. Yeah, like if you get a dog or a cat from. Yeah, they do microchips now. Like like my cats don't have, but if like most cats have microchips. It says, the Wikipedia page for Clifford, I was just reading it to give myself a little reminder earlier, it says that through a bit of magic, the chip is identifies Emily as Clifford's owner. So it is, mag- is magical. Well, he gave that magic look, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Cleese did a little, he did a little wink or something. Yeah, his character was very <laughs> odd to me, a very like Mr. Megorium type character they threw in here. Just the like older sort of 
quirky magic man. And there's the very odd sort of storyline where they think he's dead for a long time, but it's yeah. not like anything dramatic. It's just like someone was mistaken at the hospital. That like... was <laughs> the clumsiest shit ever. And they didn't even they didn't even shoot it in the right way because they're doing a reveal. The brother is like, does this look like him? And he shows the phone. But we don't get a close-up on the phone. So, like, they fumble the reveal. Like, Also, like, if you're going to go... Like, if I were in their shoes, you'd go to the hospital and you'd ask for the name of the guy. Like, they just go to the hospital and go to one random room and see a bow tie in a box and think he's dead, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Again, that, that kind of gets back to my, like the thrust of the movie can't be we need to find John Cleese. That that I just I just stand by that. That whole Bridwell thing seems to be like the studio note. That seems like crammed that in. Yeah, well with all the other like weird animals too that never really are relevant again. It's just yeah, that whole element of John Cleese feels like it was thrown in to give some like quirky magic, you know, that like humor and elements to the movie that I feel like don't really fit the Clifford universe too much. Yeah. No, no, and, and you're right, it had to have been thrown in, because there's no reason why you would have the beginning where we just see the red dog. Like, we have a double origin, double and conflicting origin story about this dog. Yeah, yeah it would be like if at the beginning of Gremlins you see, like, Gizmo be born and, like, show up at the shop. Like, the whole point is that <laughs> it's a mysterious origin, you know? Mm. Yeah. They didn't want to do mysterious with Clifford. Um, I have some, I have some Slimehouse like key tropes that we can, I can throw in. There are some things in this movie that, to me, sell it as Slimehouse, and I think one of the most obvious ones that I'm, I'm sort of amazed made it into so many parts of the movie is a lot of butt jokes, and uh, there are two specific ones that stand out. Um, one when they go to the vet. There's this whole bit about like taking his temperature through his rectum and it just like it goes on and on and this is not the first movie we've seen that has like taking temperature out of a butt as part of like the humor but everyone's so uncomfortable and they they like go through this thing and then the second one being like when he meets another dog they have, they're like oh this is how dogs meet is they smell each other's butts and like they have to like pick up the dog to like go into Clifford's <laughs> butt, you know, and those felt only at home in a Slimehouse movie. <laughs> and they felt really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because here's the thing, when you start talking this much about Clifford's anatomy and like showing him pissing, then you start to wonder, well, where's his giant dog balls? Oh, God. So does Clifford have to be neutered? <laughs> yeah, they have to. Oh, yeah, this I didn't. To I didn't think about that, but they did. They got a throwaway line about how they're like, "Oh, I hope I'm not around when he poops," you know. And it's like, okay, so now we, yeah, we don't have to like show how much, how big his poops are. Yeah, if this were a true, if this were a movie were made in like the early 2000s, you definitely would have like seen Clifford's poop like yeah. somewhere. It's I <laughs> listen. When at the end, like, the crowd clears and Tony Hale comes out in, like, the most obvious, like, children's movie villain way ever, he's like, all right, Clifford's mine. I was terrified that Clifford was going to poop or piss on him, and I leaned to my wife and says, if he does that, I'm walking out of the theater. You saw this in, wait a minute, sidebar, you saw this in a theater? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Keeping cinema alive. No. Ryan. Well, the, I looked, I, I just examined the, the only show times were at like 2.20 on a Tuesday. <laughs> More popular here in California. 
uh, I was going to say before Slimehouse was a thing, you know, or before the podcast was a thing, and uh, I was I remember talking with Nelson, and I was like, oh yeah, those like the the uh, genre of kids movies where like there has to be a self-contained scene where characters go into a small space and start farting and uh and that happens in this and not only that but it happens in like it, it it's like a load bearing like a plot load bearing fart scene where where like <laughs> the only reason that clifford is found is because clifford farts inside of the van and uh and causes the kid to open the back and let him out which is like that's that's a that's got to be some kind of new record for like that important to the plot that this giant dog farts in a tiny box. Yeah, it's not only a joke; it's a major plot point. It's a plot point. <laughs> it causes the the catalyst for the climax. Big love in a small house. Blue skies never run out. Honey, know that I always got room for you. Got room for you. More time than we both need. Years pass and I won't leave. I'll well, say one kaiju trope I saw you all note was a p- pop song about the monster over the credits. And this does have a pop song vaguely about Clifford over the end. The song Room for You by Madison Beer, which features the line, it features frequent to Big Love in the Small House. It doesn't say Clifford's name or anything, but Big Love in the Small House. I think that's direct enough to say it's a, a song about Clifford. It's it's close enough. Usually it is more literal. Like all of the seventies movies end with a th- song that's like Godzilla's our friend. Everything is great. If only the, if only this had a song like that at the end, that would have been great. Well, actually, to the music, two two things about the music. Um, one, there's a Slimehouse trope that lyrics in Slimehouse movies, or maybe just kids movies in general, are very literal. And in this one, there's a moment where it's the next day, and the lyrics are, "Hey, hey, it's a brand new day." <laughs> it's like, okay, thanks for reminding me. Um, uh, <laughs> And then I think a neo slime trope is like the pop music in in the regular thing, and I think there's a mo- the moment where Clifford is chasing the big ball through the park. They have this like t- very 2020s pop music playing, and to me that felt like only in a new movie, like in a slime house movie, that would be like silly, cartoonish, you know, John Debney music. But in in a modern movie, they have like the needle drop for like you know, the, the, the popular song of, of the moment, you know, plays in the big scene. Yeah. And I feel like it's always like this, like lackluster, like royalty free version of like big pub, <laughs> like 2020s pop music. Like it feels like you just like, they got somebody who could do a good version of like what a 2020s pop song sounds like, but like without actually having to pay the rights for like an actually popular song. One, uh, one trope even I'm aware of in Slime House is is the food mess, and we get two scenes in this. We get the uh, the accidental ketchup squirt, which pisses off Emily Elizabeth's bully, and of course the big show stopping food fight scene in the uh, Hispanic market. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh-huh. I, I felt like that a, was like uh-huh. peak slime house stuff. Yeah, like, always like good the, to see a food, a food and... fight. Yeah, it's really key <laughs> to the genre. Glad we got a food fight in. Yes, and that's life. funny too because it's a hu- it's almost all a human moment too, and that's what yeah. their decision with the humans is in like the yeah the bodega or convenience store or whatever it is. Like, oh, we're gonna like 
open all the snacks and throw them at each other. <laughs> would you say uh, would would you say that it's a kaiju trope that that the kaiju has one human that they uh, bond with? Right. Yeah, I think so. We've got you know Ichiro and Minya, the fairies and Mothra, and in, in one of the new movies we've got Gia and Kong, of course. Oh, Gia! I forgot the best part of the movies. Yeah, I did remind. I I'm not a um, a kaiju scholar, but I have seen a few, and I've seen I saw Godzilla versus Kong, and I and that did remind me of the girl in that. How like there's one like you know kaiju whisperer, and it's usually a, a little girl or a child. <laughs> Another thing Sam brought up was the bill, which is actually kind of a kaiju thing, too, because in King Kong vs. Godzilla, the original, uh, they tell Dr. Taco that if he brings King Kong into Japan, he's going to have to personally pay for all yeah. the damage he causes, <laughs> um, which is very funny and very funny intended joke. Um, and then in Son of Kong, which was the sequel to King Kong back in the 30s, uh, Carl Denham is broke because he has to, to pay for all the damage King Kong caused. <laughs> so it's not. I yeah. didn't know that. Wow, I should it's, see. Yeah, I've not seen it's, the Son of Kong. It's pretty terrible, but it's worth watching just as like a curiosity. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not a one to one because it's not Clifford's rampage that they're paying for, but it's still like kind of a thing. Yeah, in Slime House we see a lot of we. Single parents is totally a slime house trope, and usually overworked single parents who are like struggling to make ends meet. And in this, we actually get two generations of single parents because it's implied that the mom and brother came from it, like a, a dad died or something like that, and so so that forced them to you know be responsible or whatever the hell they are. And and uh, and then we have the mom who's like, you know, that's the catalyst for the plots, and it's it's sort of built around like, you know there's so many bills and you know you only get to go to this private school because of your scholarship or whatever i am the absolute only paralegal that can work on this case like i have to be (laughs) flown you know i'm only just now realizing ryan i feel like um godzilla's revenge may actually be a slime house movie i was going to say we should if we ever want to do another crossover if you guys just want to cover like a very old like proto proto slime house movie 1969's Godzilla Revenge yeah. has a lot. Just, I've, I've seen I've seen this movie. I had a VHS tape of it growing there. up. I've oh, seen this awesome. movie a bunch of times. Yeah, what's his yeah. What's the his son's name? Godzilla. Minya. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've thought yeah, it. Like, yeah, this this is. I would say just from my memory, this is a, a bear a proto slime movie for sure. <laughs> you mean you mean? Uh, so I would encourage you to cover. Wow, I just looked it up. I, I love that in the yeah in the synopsis it says a latchkey child living in the industrial city. <laughs> yep, there's bullies. There's a there's a goop scene. Uh, there's, there's a neighbor who's like the toy maker, kind of magical, <laughs> not actually magical, but kind of like mysterious toy maker neighbor man. Yeah, there's also an entire Home Alone bumbling thieves like like ending too. Yep, fighting fighting the bank robbers. Yeah, definitely. You guys yeah. got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, just for that. Yeah, just to bring y'all into our fold again. That that seems like money, you know. Okay. So, <laughs> I think the consensus, uh, according to every internet list I've seen, is that it's like one of the two worst Godzilla movies ever. And we all three of us like really liked it. Yeah, we loved it. <laughs> like it's it's in Joanna's like it's a great kids movie. Yeah. Yeah, I remember as I, when I was like, the, the VHS tape I had as a kid was dubbed, and I feel like the voice acting in the dub made it all the more slimier because the voice they gave. Uh, <laughs> 
his son, Godzilla's son, is so ridiculous. It literally sounds like a baby bop on Barney or something. Yeah, it's, it's it really, sounds yeah, like yeah. Barney. He <laughs> does sound like Barney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ryan, keep us out of that Godzilla territory here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm trying to save it so we can do a, an episode on it. Right. Um, but. I've got another neo-slime trope, which is really specific. We covered a movie for our 2020 wrap-up called The Sleepover, which is on Netflix, and it was one of our most slimy movies. Um, And they have a peanut allergy joke, which to me feels like a neo-slime trope. I have younger siblings and I have younger cousins who are allergic to peanuts, and it's a generational touchstone for, (laughs) you know, like born after 1997 on, you know, like there are all these people allergic to peanuts, and Godzilla has this moment uh, Godzilla <laughs> Clifford has this moment where they enter the school and there's a peanut free zone and they make a big deal out of that and to oh, me yeah. that is like neo slime trope to a T is like you've got to throw in <laughs> peanut allergies as a as a plot point in some capacity um Sam and Joanna can you think of any kaiju tropes we haven't called out yet that sort of snuck their way there's a little bit of like a bunch of military slash cops people chasing Clifford through the streets that gave me a little bit of that vibe and it being covered by the news. But I, it's not exa- I mean, that that's kind of just, that comes with the territory of having a giant animal. The, the tiniest, tiniest reference to nuclear energy when um, the yeah. brother finds Clifford for the first time. He describes him as like something like this nuclear red dog or like nuclear mutant or something like that and i was like please let that be clifford's origin (laughs) and doesn't the vet kind of the vet say i don't know maybe he like well like the vet kind of references it oh yeah he's like maybe he grew up on a toxic waste stuff i feel like that's more like an american trope but Mm -hmm. but sort of counts it's kind of ironic uh, that the american godzilla movies remove the nuclear origins of godzilla no. Uh, but maybe in Clifford they did. I mean, they did, but it, but they hinted at it. They're like, oh, maybe <laughs> yes. it's nuclear. And it's like, okay, yeah, but you can't. We can joke about it with Clifford, but for some reason, yeah, in, in every American Godzilla, it's like he can't be nuclear because then that implies that we're the villains. <laughs> right, right. I I have one other thing. So one thing I really I listened to the Ghidorah episode because I had watched that movie recently, and Sam brought up that there was a whole slew of Chinese appealing american movies that like didn't end with a kiss because that was um that was not savvy in in china and i was curious sidebar like what what were those now that it's been a a while can you reveal which you said like there are three new movies that you know i'm working on or i'm involved in do you remember by chance which ones those are oh god uh (laughs) I, I said that we were working on a bunch of movies that were trying to appeal to China. Yeah, and specifically you said, like, they do that thing I hate, where characters who are in love don't kiss at the end because that's considered an adult image. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, so, like, I, again, it that had to have been, like, four years ago or three years ago. So, But, like, I know we worked on The Meg, which was huge in China and was very much angled for Chinese audiences. And I think there was some of that in that. I think there, again, I I can't recall now what those movies were. Um, Yeah, I actually, it's funny you say The Meg. The Meg felt like one of the most like Chinese audience movies I've ever seen, you know, where it's just like, 
I am not the American audience is not who this is for. Um, I did find the the angle of that of the sanctuary and all that felt like a, a loose connection to like you know for like uh, foreign audiences like oh we're gonna send him this way or whatever that to me felt like something kind of modern maybe kaiju as well I don't know but you know a little bit because. I was just sorry. I'll just call out the reference real quick. In War of the Gargantuas, they talk about sending this nice monster, the brown gargantua, to Canada or Siberia, so he'll have room to roam around and be happy. <laughs> That's that was very reminiscent of that. But sorry, go ahead, Sam. No, I was gonna say my my cynicism felt like the fact that there's like this kind of savior Chinese businessman who has this wonderful sanctuary in China for Clifford. I was like, this is just that. I mean, it's that again, it's very subtle. It's not like it's the most, you know, like, like uh, abrasive version of it, but like, it definitely was like, I mean, Hey, if you're going to choose a place for kind of like the, the good place for Clifford to end up, you know, you choose it, you know, choose the place that is the place you want moviegoers, <laughs> you know, appeal to ch- I'm serious. I, I, I'm, I'm totally serious. I think it absolutely was a choice intentionally. I don't think that was an accident. I agree. And I think, I think this is reading into it too much, but if you look at it, there's even sort of like a very brief subtext where it seems like they're trying to say, oh, they're unfairly accusing the Chinese of stealing things from us of like, sneaking property out of the country that's not theirs i i think that's reading in too much but like i i noticed that was a thing because that's been a lot of their like messaging because they got caught out with all that like huawei stuff and then they're like no no it was all legit anyway yeah yeah that no that i wanted i definitely want i think that's my biggest quip or my biggest quibble with the movie was i wanted a doc like a moment where like they're on the boat and like the boat gets stopped and it's all like a news clip that you only see barely on the TV in the background. But I, I was like, I want to lean into that. Like that to me feels like, yeah, good monster movie stuff and, and good, you know, just good movie stuff in general. And they, they all, like you said, they, they all kind of throw it in implications and, you know, Oh, the boat got stopped because it was sneaking out a a dog, you know? Yeah. All right, so Godzilla Evangelist. Normally, we ascribe each movie its place in heaven, hell, or purgatory. But considering this is the only Clifford movie we've seen, or ever will see, uh, until the sequel, there's, there's, there's I, th- I think they left. I think they left ample room for Clifford. There's too. apparently a sequel in the works, but this didn't do that well, so I'm not sure if that'll that'll go through. You well, it's because only Ryan saw it in theaters, so. <laughs> And the rest of us got a Paramount Plus, you know, trial sign up. <laughs> look, I have a dog-obsessed wife. Uh, she, at the end of the movie, she said, look, I know it wasn't very good, but this movie was about a doggy, and therefore it was amazing. Um, and so that was that was her takeaway. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, normally that's what we do. But we can't really do that in this case. So... Yes, we're just going to purely rate this on a scale of kaijuness, with one being Memento and ten being King Kong vs. Godzilla. <laughs> or no, we'll say Destroy All Monsters. That's probably the most kaiju-y movie. I'll start it if you want. I mean, I would realistically say that it's like a two or a three. I think I don't think it's that much of a kaiju movie. 
which is too bad. Um, I think a three, because there's there's there is stuff there. He literally is a giant monster that has a bond with a human, and is, you know, people, evil scientists want him. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it 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 kind of. It, I was kind of disappointed that in a weird way it actually wasn't even that focused on Clifford. Again, it's to what you guys said, he's a plot device more than a character. I think uh, there was so much time spent with shenanigans with with a crazy uncle that uh, that we really missed out on this even being a normal kids Clifford movie that might have actually been more of a kaiju movie. Um, so a little disappointed in that way, but as a movie, it was, I would say it was not good but it wasn't, it wasn't abysmal. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't terrible and it wasn't unwatchable. Uh, and uh, I can't say that about every Godzilla or Godzilla adjacent movie we've watched. So. <laughs> God damn it, Sam. Even I, in the non-Godzilla episodes, <laughs> you still got to be grumpy. I would, I would just say that, that in terms of watchability, I found this to be more watchable than the any of the three Netflix anime Godzilla films. Okay, I'd agree. But what about the animated series? No, I'm just kidding. I found this more watchable than that, too. <laughs> so, for what that's uh, worth. Well, I have very little to add, because that was pretty much exactly my opinion. I think it lands at a solid three on the kaiju meter. This movie kind of stinks, but it's just barely passable <laughs> yeah i i'd say three three point five i think if it sam like you were saying kind of the, the pitch you were given earlier or if you look at the cartoon of it like um even emily elizabeth like her costume all everything in the cartoon if it had leaned into that and had their relationship the heart of the story like we do see in the king kong films would have been a better movie and the rating on this scale would have gone up um but I'd say the movie was fine. I'd say kids, you need time. You know, you got to fill their time with something. But <laughs> if you have to pick only one kids movie, you know, like watch, watch Ice Age for a story about family or something like that. <laughs> or Godzilla's Revenge. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think... I actually think it's a little more of a monster movie just because, yeah, it has that, like, sense of, like, oh, we're in, you know, like, the community has to deal with this monster. And, like, maybe it's not a very well executed, but I I, I don't know. I thought it had, like, more of that. Again, it reminded me a lot of Okja in, in a lot of that element. And if you guys ever cover Okja, I'd be curious, I'd be curious to listen to that episode because I think that it's equally, like, is it a kaiju movie? Like, let's discuss. I feel like that kind of lean, like, enters that foray. I definitely want to do the host at some point because I think that's probably the best kaiju movie ever made. If I'm being objective, um, so uh, we could do a double feature host Okja. Um, and and actually, Nelson's saying that it might be more than a three. If if we're really going by Ryan's rubric of a one being Memento, a movie that literally has zero <laughs> giant monsters or any reference, this might be more like a five. <laughs> yeah. You that's might be, that's you something might be we right. discuss on Slimehouse too, is, like, is a one. 
I've like, never seen that, Memento, so I couldn't. You know, not, it, that's just a reference to. That's just a reference to how Ryan and I first met, where he just thought I was just a total pretentious dickbag for <laughs> for loving Memento as a you know like eighteen year old film kid, and just like oh this fucking guy who can't stop talking about Memento, <laughs> and he was right. He was completely justified. It's a running joke on the podcast at this point. I had to have Memento be the bottom. Ah, of the I see. Yes, glad. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for explaining the joke. So I I was just like, oh, random, not not <laughs> kaiju movie. Um, that that reminds me of I remember a friend of mine being like, every film every film school kids' favorite movies are Fight Club and Five Hundred Days of Summer and. I was like, ah, that's not really true, whatever. And then I had a first day of history of film part one and we were going around saying our favorite movies. And this one kid was like, my favorite movies are Fight Club and 500 Days of Summer. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, there were certain ones you could just tick off the list. Like there there will be blood. Uh, everyone was so into that. Once Birdman came out, everybody would fucking talk about Yeah, I was, I, I was in film school right after Birdman came out. And so many people said like their favorite movie of all time was Birdman. When that was like time in class. It was like the year it came out. And so it had a huge umbrella that year. <laughs> You could almost set your watch to walking into someone's like dorm room or apartment living room and there being a Boogie Nights poster, a Fight Club poster, and a Dark Knight poster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can sub in Magnolia for one of those, maybe. But... <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Inglorious Bastards, I feel like. Uh, was, yeah. You know, yeah. I feel like Inglorious Bastards kind of took over Pulp Fiction slowly as like the, the, the Tarantino pick, you know? So, so not to not to keep going on the subject, but on my first day of school, first day of college, you were at the cafeteria, and it was a bunch of people, uh, including some film people. And this one guy goes, and, and by the way, Nelson, Ryan, and I all went to film school together. As did Jasper, uh, and uh, and this one guy just goes, "Oh, Sam, you're you're a film film major, okay." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah. What do you?" And he's like, "No, no, 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 no. Don't, don't. You know, all I need to know about you." is your answer to this question. Did Forrest Gump deserve to win the Best Picture Oscar in 1994? And I was like, yeah, Oscars are, I mean, I don't care. And he goes, that's not, that's not the right answer. Pulp Fiction, <laughs> quiz show, Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I, I hate this guy. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and Ryan and I had many run-ins with him later. And uh, he knows who he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for our godzilla evangelist listeners who are new we do a slime score which is one through ten on how slimy a movie is and a one being say dreamer inspired by a true story um which is not which is still a kids movie but not a slimy movie and then a 10 being something like max keeble's big move or the cat in the hat and i don't know about max i would go with i'm neo slime is really interesting to try to rate on that scale because I feel like it's kind of like, uh, back to our co- earlier conversation, it's kind of like the Leo DiCaprio pointing meme where when you see Slimehouse tropes in a new movie, you're like, oh, look, there it is, you know, and you kind of like, you're you're looking for it and you're excited when you see those tropes. So I, I feel like sometimes my new movie scores are a little inflated, um, but I, I want to settle at a seven because I think that in general, it has the Slimehouse stuff where, like, it makes the choice to do the Slimehouse thing. Like, all the butt jokes I mentioned, I think the uncle character and 
John Cleese are both kind of slime house instigators. And um, I even think the villain has a little sliminess to him in, in the traditional way. Um, I don't, I think it makes the choice to be a Slimehouse movie more than not, even though it's it's still trying to be like vogue and new and hip and all that with like its music choices and other things like that that would make it less Slimehouse in the way it's executed. Um, so I think a seven's right. It might be a smidge high, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, for a lot of the same reasons you said, I landed on a six for this. I thought it didn't have quite the same amount of like enough sliminess to bump it up to a seven, but I agree with all your points there that there was a lot of slime there. Like I think, yeah, the villain was slimy. I think a lot of the hijinks that we see are slimy. I think the uncle was a slimy addition to the story, but overall it just maybe the feel like the we talked about this before. I don't think the attitude is really that we were talking about at the beginning of the episode is really there at all. It's a very gentle movie, relatively speaking, despite all the hijinks and humor. But yeah, I feel like it's a little too like it's not really amped up enough to be full slime for me. But the tropes are there, and I mean, it's there's pee jokes, there's butt jokes, so you know, there's fart jokes, so. That's got to bump it up a little. So, yeah, I'd say a, a six for me. It's a little more than just a five. It's a little more than just average sliminess. What, what if we talked about, like, just one... We'll give one suggestion to make the movie more kaiju-y, and you guys give one suggestion to make the movie more slimy. And that's that's how we'll close out. Uh, Clifford makes it to the big animal nature reservation, and the second half of the film is spent there. Okay. I'll I'll plus that and say that he meets like a giant like ox in the reservation and uh, <laughs> initially they're brothers but he discovers that the giant ox is actually very destructive and like tramples the humans that visit the preserve so he has to defend the humans by fighting this giant ox. I do like I like in movies where there's like of zigs like a back and forth from far distances i'm thinking of like the deer hunter how like we go to vietnam and then we leave and it's you know and then we go back to vietnam or whatever and i feel like that would give it that element of like like kind of like king kong shows up in new york city at the end like we we go through a big transportation moment i feel like would would make the movie more kaiju yeah i think i think if he if there was more collateral damage and he uh like when he jumped up to catch the, he jumped up, this is now a joke. I'm doing a bit now. He jumps up and catches that guy who's falling and saves his life, but in the process lands in his two front paws, crushed two people. And so now he is, he has saved one, but killed two. And then, and then he has to go on the run. And Emily Elizabeth's like, she's like, he didn't mean it. He's just a big animal. He doesn't know his size. And he's on the run. Maybe someone like shoots something, you know, they start trying to shoot him and it just anger, you know, it just, it just angers and confuses him. And he ends up like, it kind of becomes like an iron giant situation where he's completely well-meaning, but people aren't ready to deal with a giant dog. And he's so big that he's just crushing buildings left and right. <laughs> yeah. That it, it turns out that it was it's not love that enlarges him it's anger and so the more angry he gets the larger he becomes <laughs> yeah he, he, yeah the big red hulk <laughs> i think one th- to make the movie a little slimier i think as i mentioned before this movie's not like super crude by slimehouse standards and it doesn't really have that anti-authoritarian sort of bent anti-establishment bent so i think to make this slimer you just need one little thing kill two birds with one stone clifford needs to like 
poop on a cop car, poop on on the villain's car, something like that. Poop on the villain, even. We need like some poop, some dog poop jokes. Like a big dog poop feels very slimy, and we need like a better comeuppance for some of the villains, a slimier comeuppance. Because we talk all the time. One of the main slime house jokes we like is like when the villain's big revenge, at the, like or the, his big like payoff at the end, as he gets like some school cafeteria food poured on his head or gets some just so or like gets like some something gross poured on him and this yeah i think that clifford there should have been some use some poop to give the villains the their 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 big comeuppance that's my one slimy fix for this for this movie yeah i think that's the main one i think that the gross messes i think like it needed more grossness and need more messiness um i i think the closest it got was when he's first in the apartment and he's too big for the apartment, but it's not enough of that. Honestly, though, I really think the music makes the difference. Like, I, I feel like in the ball chasing scene, when the pop music that I don't know what it was, needle drop happens, I was like, this feels too 2021. Like, if we want to make this slime house, like, have, like, a goofy, like, bum bum And this this has a John Debney score. He just really wasn't going all out for it, you know? But we had John Debney, who I think is our most frequent slime composer. And yeah, and he scored this, but yeah, not a super slimy score from him. If that park scene had uh, had was set to "Who Let the Dogs Out," we'd have exactly. oh. thousands. Uh. <laughs> oh there you go. That would have changed that makes everything. You that makes you want to edit it with "Who Let the Dogs Out" because that's <laughs> you got to do it. A slimy cut of of Clifford, a fan yeah. made slime house cut. Yeah, even I, I, I would. I would lose my shit if it was like a 2021 release still trying to milk Who Let the Dogs <laughs> didn't, Out. Didn't Christmas, well, Chronicles like 2, didn't Christmas Chronicles 2 have a Who Let the Dogs Out? Yes, like it did. Needle drop? Yes, yeah, when all the elves <laughs> yeah. are like partying. So yeah. still... <laughs> oh, so it's good. Still going strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Godzilla Evangelists, if you liked this, if you like us, subscribe to both us and Slimos, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, leave leave your comments. Sign up for our social medias. Leave nice reviews on Apple Podcasts, please. Yeah, and thanks, guys, for initiating this. This was really fun, and I, I hope to do some other movies that qualify as both, and, um, you know, yeah, it's great. Yeah, because I'm sure they're out there, and this was a, a great collab. We gotta get Godzilla's Revenge on your docket. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, that'd be, I actually was just talking. Yeah, God, I was just talking about Godzilla's Revenge with my girlfriend the other day. So yeah, that, that's a, a what a coincidence. It'd be perfect. Twenty twenty two coming at you, audiences. Get ready. Get ready. All right. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Thank you all. Slime House, a podcast created by Jared Anderson. Jasper Birnbaum, Max Morris, and H. Nelson Tracy. If you like this episode, you can find more fun on slimehousepod.com. Our website is created by Brian Hume of Valencia Creative Company. Our theme music, composed by Greta Russell. Support this podcast at anchor.fm slash slimehousepod or by following us on social media at slimehousepod on all platforms.